Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up before we play the podcast that we had some internet issues. So sometimes the sound quality is less than perfect, but I really, really urge you to stick with it because Tom has some really important and profound information that he's going to share with us. Well, I hope you enjoy and we'll see you soon. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Tom Corbishley with me. Tom is a psychotherapist, a sex and relationship therapist, and a Peso Boyden practitioner. In 2019, he received the Lauvis Perkin Memorial Award and has his own private psychotherapy and sex and relationship therapy practice. Tom is a colleague of mine and a friend, and I'm very, very happy to have him here with me today. Tom, could we please start with you telling us a little bit about what brought you to this work in the first place? Yeah, because I would have thought of myself as the last person to have become a therapist in my earlier life. I, you know, I ran my own manufacturing business for 30 years. I studied physics at university. What the hell am I doing being a psychotherapist? But um, relationships didn't go well for me. And trying to find a way to sort of work out what was going wrong took me to therapy, took me to some quite bad therapy. Uh, and then by complete luck took me to some quite amazing therapy and I thought oh well if this is therapy I could do this this would be good and that's the beginning of my journey really wow and what a journey it was mm. Great. exactly and well, it's fantastic because um, I'm now doing what I always dreamed I'd be doing which is a a job which is not a job it's just the most enjoyable and, and amazing thing that i could be doing so it's almost like and i even get paid to do it wow <laughs> that's the dream right yeah that is and also it's one of those jobs where um the older i get and the less hair i have the more credibility I have. It's not, <laughs> so I'm not going to get asked for early retirement just because I'm getting on a bit. You know? <laughs> yes, good job to choose where you get to sit in a chair all day. Yes, exactly right. A nice comfy chair. Yes. Well, today we're going to talk about what we're calling being a square watermelon. Now, Tom, I was hoping you could explain to our listeners what this is. Yeah, it's kind of interesting slightly provocative title isn't it are you a square watermelon and what on earth does that mean and i will i will it's a metaphor that i use to help my clients see what i'm getting at when i say that their past has shaped them because um you know every therapist has their particular orientation to the work they do and there isn't a right or a wrong way of doing it but my particular orientation is well, my fascination is how the circumstances of our upbringing, childhood, shaped our worldview and create difficulties which we aren't really aware of because they're outside of our capacity to see differently because they are they're baked into our worldview. And um, so, 
sometimes, you know, I get the sense that people say, ah, oh, you know, therapists, childhood, really? Do we have to go there? You know, it was fine. I had nice parents. I wasn't beaten. It was okay. Can we just deal with what the problem is now? And of course we can, but often the underlying thing with what's happening now is what happened then. So to use a bit of Pesser Boyden terminology, the there and then shows up in the here and now. Mm. And the clue usually is that what's happening in the here and now is creating greater problems than it ought to. And that's a bit of a clue that there might be a bit of there and then in it. So, so what's a square watermelon? So there's a, a farmer in Japan, a watermelon farmer, who discovered that if you make a perspex cube with a little hole in one side of it, and you take a baby watermelon and you put the little watermelon through the hole into the cube and then leave it to grow just as, as you would a normal watermelon. And what happens to the watermelon is as it grows, it is constrained by the perspex box into the shape that the box offers, which is a cube. I mean, I'm calling it a square, but it's the same, you know, just to make it easy to get. And when the watermelon is kind of ready, uh, the farmer removes the perspex box and there you have a square watermelon. And people go, oh, cool, that's great. I love that. I'll pay extra for that. And they don't roll off a shelf and you can get more of them in a box. This is amazing. So everyone's happy. But has anybody asked the watermelon whether it likes not being its true shape? And I guess, you know, we arrogant humans would say, come on, it's just a watermelon. It doesn't have feelings. It doesn't know it's not the right shape. So um that may be true but here's the thing children grow inside the psychological shape that their parents and their culture make available to them and they have no idea that they're growing within that shape but they have to grow and fit that shape because that's what's acceptable but it might not be their true shape so usually people kind of go yeah, okay so so we can then have shorthand in the sessions of you know is that your square, square watermelon showing up in the sense that if you grew if you grew inside a shape that you had no idea that was there and that your parents had no idea was there it's not like they do it deliberately uh, they had they grew into a shape that was offered by their parents and their parents grew into a shape that was offered by their parents. And there may have been a war on and there may have been difficulties and there may have been all sorts of stuff which, which um, affected the circumstances. So, um, so when you're not aware that you've grown into that shape, you don't, you don't know that such a thing shape is a possibility or it's very hard to see what's happening. It's rather like the moment of birth, someone put some pink contact lenses in your eyes, but didn't, there was such a contact lenses. And you grew up seeing the world slightly a pink shade of color, but you were aware that there was anything strange about that because 
you'd only ever seen through eyes that had a pink contact lens. And then if in a therapy session, you can just sort of go, just whip the contact lens out briefly. It's like, oh my God, I've just seen green for the first time. I didn't even know that there was a, I knew there was a thing called green, but now I've seen it. I realize it's not just a darker shade of red or something. So it's a tough concept. How are we doing? Am I kind of, um, am I losing you? or are we, Not are we... at all. It is very powerful. Okay. okay. So, um, so this is where I'm sort of just perhaps for, give a foretaste of what we're going to talk about a bit later, I guess, which is what happens about relationship selection. I've never stretched the metaphor quite this far, and it, I don't know whether it's going to work or not. <laughs> but if you think about um, square watermelon, if it met another watermelon, if it met a normal round watermelon, it would think, well, there's only one point of contact here. Hmm, bit weird. If it met another square watermelon, it would think, wow, this is great. We've got a whole side of contact. So you might think, so a square watermelon is kind of going to be unconsciously looking for another square watermelon. Mm -hmm. Whereas a regularly shaped watermelon, who's there's only ever going to be one point of contact with a regularly shaped watermelon. So it's not a thing. They're just happy to see another watermelon. Um, at this point, I want to read something. I don't know whether reading over these things is such a great idea, but it's such a fantastic quote. It's from Alain de Botton. It's about what we speak in a partner. And I think it's just incredibly telling. So we believe that seeking happiness in love, but what we're really after is familiarity. We're looking to recreate within our adult relationships the very feelings we knew so well in childhood and which were rarely just tenderness and care. The love most of us will have tasted early on came in mind with other more destructive dynamics of wanting to help an adult who was out of control or being deprived of a parent's warmth or scared of his or her anger or not feeling secure enough to communicate our trickier wishes. How logical then that we should, as adults, find ourselves rejecting certain candidates, not because they're wrong, but because they're a little too right, in the sense of seeming somehow excessively balanced, mature, understanding and reliable. Given that in our hearts such rightness feels foreign and unearned, we chase after more exciting others, not in the belief that life with them will be more harmonious, but out of an unconscious sense that it will be reassuring familiar in its patterns of frustration. And the key word there is unconsciously, mm -hmm. because of course we think, oh, I want, I want someone who'll love me and I want to love someone and I don't want all this aggravation, but we're not running the show. Our shape is running the show. And that's, but that's my way of, of visualizing it anyway, that the, that our uh, our square watermelonness is running the show, but we don't know that we're square watermelons, so we don't know that something else is running the show. We think we're running the show. Sorry, <laughs> we're not. So um, I think that 
that, that we're finding we've a partner to create some of the stuff that we experienced and here's a here's a quote that that sounds really pessimistic but i really don't think it is but at first hearing you think oh not sure about that one i don't know who the quote is attributed to someone said fraud but i've never been able to track it down it says we we choose as a partner the person who can hurt us with the greatest precision hmm. and, and you think oh ouch okay that doesn't sound very positive but what i understand that to mean is that our unconscious wants us to be our true shape that's the soul's journey life and where square watermelon are stuck humans have got a thing that says no this isn't right i i want to be my true self which by the way is the work of Pesso boyden is all about and that thing drives is we can't put a name to it because we don't know we're not our true self but we have this thing which is like there's something just not quite right there's an itch that i just can scratch there's a feeling that i can't put my finger on and our brains try to make make stuff up sort of um, make sense of it but really just making stuff up to make sense of it like i hate my boss hate my job i don't like this area i wish i was older i wish i was a bit younger i wish i was fatter i wish i was thinner um but it's my senses and i can't i'm not saying that i'm speaking position and knowing anything this is just how i see it but um that's the kind of push from the soul that says you were made a square watermelon and you have chance to become your true shape and somehow nature does it by, by partnership so we we find a partner and they push the buttons that need to be addressed mm. but of course our first instinct is to go how are you pushing these buttons you know when we first got together, none of this happened. And um, if you just stop these, it would be fantastic. At which point the partner normally turns and says, well, would you like to take a look at yourself? You're pushing all my buttons, but I haven't changed, you know. So, so there's an elegant, out, uh, such an elegant capacity to select the partner that offers up the, the work needs to be done and of course in in our sort of current western consumer culture we tend to think okay that one didn't work chuck it away let another one and so um as esther perel says you know monogamy used to be one partner for life now it means partner at a time so there's this this idea that well okay i just i chose wrongly and yet here's an interesting statistic the average length of time of a second marriage is one half the time of a first marriage one half well yeah yeah, yeah shorter in other mm -hmm. words and now um, most people think no 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 i made all my mistakes i know what i did wrong <laughs> this time i'm going to choose someone who who i really know is going to be okay but actually 
what's really happened is if you haven't done the work, what's really happened is your unconscious has said, yeah, I can get to that much quicker now. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so anyway, this is how I, I see it. So, and that's why I just love working with relationship because it's, it's like moving with nature. But in a situation where most people really are thinking, what on earth is going on? Why is, why isn't this, um, why isn't this working? And and who's at fault? And it's not a fault thing. Now, I mean, obviously that's one aspect. Of course, there are other things that you know that someone might actually be behaving badly, or some people might just be a properly and not a good match for each other. And even if they were a good match when they first met, people have to be allowed to grow and develop. So um, even if we're a fantastic match at the beginning, we're going to shift. And um, perhaps to take it even more onto your kind of a message here, where this shows up is in sex. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of the teachings of David Schnarch, he he says that kind of four coal faces of relationship, money, kids, in-laws, and sex. You've just done what every client does as well, which is smile, because we just know it's true when we hear it. Uh, we can agree, well, I like Venetian blinds. Well, I like curtains. Well, all right, we'll have Venetian blinds in the bathroom, but have curtains in the living room. Fine. But I like hard floors, but I like carpeted floors. Okay, we can agree to disagree on pretty much anything, but we can't agree to disagree on money, kids, in-laws, and sex. And sex is so important um, that that's what throws people, usually that's the kind of thing that throws people into the therapy room relationship context i mean there are other things that can go wrong and we're so poorly educated around sex in this country pretty much our sex education is don't get pregnant and don't have a disease but there's nothing about relationship and love and pleasure and so um that's kind of where i'm from and I kind of want to know whether there's anything that's sparked an interest. So what I'm wondering is if you think that this is one of the reasons why people repeat the same patterns, maybe fall into uh, toxic or maybe even abusive relationships because they're trying to allow their watermelon to carve a different shape by um, resolving the situation differently or by coming out the other side i think so and and again it sort of it takes a little bit of it takes a bit of thought because you know if you get a a youngster who's who has an alcoholic parent who's violent and then they grow up and they get married and lo and behold they've married an alcoholic partner who gets violent and you might think well why because surely that's like the very last thing that they would they would sh no it wouldn't happen surely um but there's some kind of weird force that drives that to happen so what is that um 
it's my sense that their soul knew that it was wrong when they were a child, but there was nothing they could do about it. Mm. Because when you're a child, you don't have any power. When you become an adult, you have agency. You may not realize you have agency, but you do have agency. And so this what's called reenactment, or I call it reenactment or repetition, compulsion, or whatever the term that's used is, is the way I see it is it's um, the soul saying, do this again, but now you're an adult, you know what you can do. You have the possibility of putting putting your shape right. Mm -hmm. It's so subtle because, but then we go back to Alain de Botton, you know, um, you, you might, um, let's say that you marry someone who's emotionally distant. Um, and at some point later in your relationship, you think, oh, I really, I'd like the partner to be a bit more emotionally available. And, and I, as a therapist might say to you, what oh, did you ever, have you ever had a relationship with someone who was emotionally available? And the client might say, mm, let me think, oh God, yeah, there was one. God, they were all over me. <laughs> so it's that kind of, yes, you did see it. You actually got it. But something inside said, this is wrong. This doesn't feel right. This is too right. Huh. So, um, and, and there's an, I mean, I have, um, I have what I call thought cards, which I offer to clients because like the Alain de Botton quote, I have a little printed out on little odds because some people say stuff so well, there's not much point in me trying to reinvent it, uh, which is thing like work that we have to do if we're up for it is pretty much the same whether the relationship survives or not. Mm. So the relationship brings the work up. And we can choose to ditch the relationship and try again, but the work is just sitting there waiting to be done and it'll keep returning. And, yeah. you know, whether, of course, it, <laughs> so, uh, so a friend of mine did once said to me, yeah, but you like therapy. And I think, yeah, I do like therapy. And I think we should all like therapy. Therapy is great. It's, helping us it's helping us to become when we become we become comfortable in our own skin and we can live our lives to the full but most people think well no therapy is for when you're broken and it's going to try and dig you out of a hole well that's unfortunately how our, our culture has looked at therapy and that is tends to be people come to therapy when they've got a crisis um, but I do, I think therapy is fun and can be fun and, uh, and that it has such great potential to make life livable. Um, it's just unfortunate that uh, we're not living, we living in circumstances that we were evolved for. You know, we're living in concrete box, iPhones, mortgages, neighbors we don't really speak to and, um, we were evolved to live in this where we knew everybody and we were just happy and I'm not saying there wasn't danger and death and loss and you know 
and so forth, but um, there would have been people all available to talk to about all aspects of life. Yeah. So uh, I, I want to put in something which is what I call my magic question. And therapists have their own magic question. Um, so it's not the magic question, but it, this is the question that I sometimes ask where I've got a client where I'm kind of inquiring about their childhood and their, their kind of response is, don't waste your time. It was fine. You won't find anything there. It was happy. I got everything I wanted. You know, can we get on with what's going on now? Which of course I will. But the question I ask is, you know, maybe they have children, maybe they're thinking of having children, or maybe they can imagine the possibility of having children. So I would say, what would, what would a child of yours have to know about life as a result of you being their parent? And most people kind of really think that is quite an interesting question and they think about it quite seriously. And the sort of answers I might get would be, well, they should know that they're loved and they should know that they can always come and talk to me about anything that's going on in their life and never feel that they, that they can't. And I think it's important that we would eat our meal together. You know, a couple of times a week, we should all sit around and have a meal together. What's going on in my head is that's what you didn't get. Mm -hmm. And it normally comes out that that's what they didn't get. But not getting something, if you didn't know that it was something that you could get, doesn't appear to be a loss. But the beauty of the soul is that it's there and it knows. Out it came. Magic question. That was that true knowing of should be and what probably wasn't. And then we're, now we're starting to cook on gas or phrases, you know, because we can start to how that may have shaped their way, understanding the way that the world is and what they can expect from it. I think that's so profound and such an amazing question. Um, yeah, I'm quite blown away by that, that, the, that they might not know that that was what was lacking in their upbringing and their childhood, but that unconscious or um, that deeper knowledge just knows. And it's a really great way to unearth that. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. I'm wondering if you have any advice baby for people who are unsure if they are um the right shaped watermelon for them so how how can they know if they have transitioned into what they have the capacity to be to be or if they have stayed in um, that mold in which they were when growing up well i guess the, the the honest answer to that is that we never fully always what Al Peso used to say, the end act of becoming, you know, we are constantly um, blossoming into flower. Mm. And I guess that, um, you know, that some of the bigger leaves open first, but there's always looking to open as well. So I don't, that's why I see therapy as a lifelong journey because is more more to come and 
and know what you don't have to do it it's not it's not like a, a you must it's perfectly possible to life without doing all this but if there's hurting then one option is to is to see what what fill out into true shape yeah so it's all there's always something there always always something and, to work on yeah and if it's a fault again al peso used to say um he doesn't see the work as therapy because therapy implies that people are broken and we're doing something to fix them mm. it's not people are just trying to become their true self and we're here to offer a guidance help and 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 some of our neurology to that process mm, so that's help, my approach anyway help with yeah. the evolution yeah yeah wonderful well tom it has been such a pleasure having you on the show today and i'm wondering if you can please tell the listeners where they can find you uh yeah um so my my psychic practice is is talk works and um the verse is talk hyphen work uk my specialist sex and relationship therapy site is sex therapy uk can you just repeat That's that me. sex was it sex therapy it's sex therapy watford watford yep yeah and see watford is of hertfordshire it's on it's just on the m20 underground so it's accessible for when we're not in lockdown yeah and also i do have a an instagram which is um something like this hashtag talk works um i just put little interesting snippets up on that i'm not really a major social media person perfect and can people um have sessions with you via zoom as well as face to face yes Yes, and I mean at the moment I'm only doing online because that's the lockdown um, over Zoom, and um, you know when we're not in lockdown, groups and face to face in is incredibly green. Um, but at the moment it's all online. But I think online's good. It works. It works. It works even better. Wonderful. Well. Thank you so much for coming on again, Tom, and we hope to see you again in Sex Unshackled. Mm -hmm.